Welcome to the World Wild Podcast. I'm Miles Irving, and this week I'm delighted to welcome Kate Blinker, who is the author of The No-Nonsense Guide to Green Parenting, to the podcast. Uh, so we'll get to the conversation with Kate in just a minute. And in fact, it's very topical because I've ended up thinking a lot about kids in the last few weeks, um, partly because I've got my own at home, and partly just thinking what could we do at this moment to... Um, I don't know, reach people with the, with the message about wild food and foraging. And um, beyond that, you know, it's all very well reaching people with a message, but it's, uh, it's even better if people t- take it up and, and, um, and become practically involved in the thing that you're telling them about. So um, after thinking a lot about it, I, I thought, well, th- there couldn't really be a better outcome to come from this coronavirus lockdown situation than that we've taken the opportunity to connect some kids with wild plants and and to that end encourage some parents to to engage with foraging uh with their kids so um i think i mentioned last in last week's podcast that that we've we've started a facebook group and uh so i want to say a bit more about that so any of you that are listening that are parents or grandparents or um friends of people with kids or somehow or another you have kids in your life. If you use Facebook, and I quite understand what a toxic thing social media can be, and you may well not, in which case good for you. But um, if you if you do engage with Facebook at all, um, it's uh, it's probably a situation where there's going to be definitely more tangible benefits than than, than a downside uh, to engage with some of the stuff that's been going on there. So it's, it's been really delightful. People have just grabbed a smartphone and, and, and done short videos on all sorts of subjects um, including a, a, a delightful sort of henna tattoo type thing with, with a dandelion stalk, which I have to say, that was new to me. Someone posted that up today. And there's even been links to an amazing Czechoslovakian uh, cartoon series, which is all in Czech. It'd be lovely if we could get English subtitles on it. But you can see from watching the the uh, the story, basically what's going on, there's a little mole who does all kinds of stuff with um, the wild plants in his environment, and the illustrations are just beautiful. So... I'm I'm super excited about the uh, just just the the Facebook group, but also we have started work planning a foraging for kids uh, website, or rather that will probably be a part of the World Wild website, which is currently in development. So uh, yeah, I mean basically watch this space for further details about that. But yeah, all very fitting because obviously the t- the main topic of this this week's conversation is. Uh, green parenting, and um, I guess without further ado, I'll just get on now to um, to that conversation with Kate. What's the wonderful world of green parenting look like in in the uh, in the current apocalyptic scenario, Kate? <laughs> I think I'm particularly thankful at the moment that we are allowed out of the house. I think suddenly green parenting. Um, and getting outdoors, getting into nature is not just a, a cherry on top. It's like an essential part of survival at the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, with kids all around, you know, everywhere around the globe um, being restricted in what they can do, whether they can see their friends or not. Just getting outside um, and giving them space to let off steam is, um, is really important. Um, and also, you know, it's really interesting talking to them about some of the the knock-on impacts of the coronavirus in terms of um, greening and air, um, air pollution reductions. I think that's all really interesting conversations when it's often the younger generation that have been saying, 
we need to do something about climate change and all the politicians uh, have been saying, well, oh, no, no, well, you know, we'll do this. We'll meet these targets by 2050. And suddenly something major has happened. And it's it's quite an interesting message, I think. Yeah. But I, I mean, where's the message coming from? That's the question. Well, how do you mean? I mean, it's 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 what it's what it's been forced for other reasons, and um, and people will see the benefits of that. And you know, I walk around my village at the moment. And normally, the the lanes I go on are deserted. I don't I don't see anyone, um, and it's it's really busy now. There's families out walking, um, people out running, and suddenly, this you know, the environment around us suddenly matters. I mean, I'll, I'll explain what I meant by the question. Yeah. Where's it coming from? I was talking to a friend uh, the other day, um, Monica Wilde, who we did a podcast with, and she's a very deep lady. Um, so with reference to, you know, James Lovelock and the Gaia theory and all that, that the Earth and the biosphere is a self-organizing system. Yeah, okay. Well, um, you know, Monica was saying it's, it's like Gaia has stopped being an mother. It mm. just, us, you know, we have really been on such a long leash you know, suddenly we have this corrective influence, which is bound to happen. I mean, it's just, you can see it as just a blind thing if you want, if you don't want to imbue it with personality or consciousness yeah, or anything yeah, yeah. like that. It doesn't matter because self-organizing systems inevitably yeah, generate, mm. you know. Some people say it's like we've all been sent to our rooms to think about what we've done. Yes. And we have, haven't we? But I love it. So, I mean, I can't remember where I said this. If, if, whether it was on one of these podcasts or not, but if, even if it was, it bears repeating. So, like, so we've been grounded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the beauty of it is, having been grounded, we're getting grounded. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's inevitable. Having and, and 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 like the indulgent mother is is actually transferred slightly into another mode, which is a bit strict. Yeah, sent to our rooms. <laughs> but what are we finding in our rooms? Yeah. We're finding each other. And we're finding those green spaces outside that we actually start valuing a bit more than we used to. So it, all of a sudden, in spite of having been uh, sent to our rooms, there's a lot of kindness in here. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot yeah. of grace and there's a lot of gifts that, that we can notice that we weren't noticing. So, mm-hmm. mm. And there's also, there is a lot of fear. Lots of people are scared. But one of the most calming things you can do is get into nature get into a garden even just breathing in fresh air that is really vital for bringing those anxiety levels back down and, and exercise as well outside so yeah it's that level as well of what, what we suddenly get from the world in a different way i mean, should we talk about what we're doing with our kids what are you doing with your kids yeah um so minus primary school age um nine and eleven um one of them, the, the youngest, has autism, so she um, can be quite quite challenging, quite a handful. Um, so my main thing is trying not to be too restrictive, really, in terms of the homeschooling thing. Um, we have a little bit of time of that in the mornings, but then we try and get outside um, in the afternoon, um, just going for walks um, and hanging out in our local area. Um, yeah. And, and that's and that's nice actually. It's kind of taken taken the lid off the pressure cooker of everyday life. You know, particularly my oldest child, he he likes his sports, and so the forever kind of rushing from club to club is like, oh, football training, oh, you got a match on Sunday, and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of rushing around with that. And 
it's actually been really nice for the kids just not ever to go in a car and suddenly this little world around us is what is what matters so what about you what are you doing have you all right well i've got yeah mine mine are seven and eleven yeah and uh the seven-year-old is a boy and um he's very sporty yeah i mean one one sport really is football and, and that yeah. that sat down weeks ago yeah um, but what that's meant is you know we know he's got a he's got to burn off energy he's, yeah. he's like a tiger you know, <laughs> it's not. um and so um and i've been saying for ages i'm going to start doing some running because i don't really get any uh proper aerobic exercise with what i do um I mean, I yeah. might go for a long walk, but like, I don't yeah. need to. Yeah. And, and so, uh, we've got a field across a field, which, which is a footpath from one stile to another up a hill. Yeah. We're running that and back every morning. Yeah, great. About how we'll try and stretch it, like, once I've stopped feeling like I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, but he's fine. <laughs> he goes, come on, he starts talking to me at the top, and I just shake my head. Can't talk. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, you see, I, I am a runner, so I'm used to, Getting out and so now this is actually trying to build my kids up to be able to come on a decent, decent run with me. Um, although, you know, like 11 year old, he, but he did manage to do 5k with me. Um, and I was, yeah, I was very impressed. <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to do this barefoot running thing just, just for this field. It's got quite a lot wow. of flip in it, but it's mainly, mainly grass. And so far I haven't managed to hurt my feet on a sharp bit of flint. Yeah. I don't know how that's happening, but I just have faith. I'm going to run across this field. Because, because I, I just think the barefoot thing's really important. Um, yeah, I use barefoot style trainers. I haven't ever, you know, dared other than on a beach to to go properly barefoot. But um, yeah, it's better for your running technique, isn't it? And you'll well, toughen up your soles. I mean, I don't really know. I've got I've got a friend who's mega into running, um, and he he runs a kind of uh, outdoor movement thing. Mm. I don't see him often enough for him to give me constant tips. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure now I've t- tell him I've started running. He'll give me all sorts of tips. Um, but uh, he recommended those soles, those shoes that you mentioned. I just haven't got around to buying them. They're, they're yeah. very thin, aren't they? And, and, they, and you feel the ground. You, yeah, and there's no um, none of the padding that is kind of elevating you off the ground yeah. or, or influencing um, your feet into a narrow position. It's more about kind of spreading out your toes and, and kind of flattening your feet so you really kind of feel the ground. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's, 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 it's one of those things. I'm, I'm, in terms of connecting with, with, um, the land and so on. Obviously, my first point of contact that I've put a lot of time and effort and attention into is, is the plants. But I keep noticing there's other bits that we've lost, you know, in our, in our modern way of life. And, and, and that, and that just seems to be such a great, I mean, I, I love the metaphors in all of these things too. And like the feet on the ground thing, I just love that. Yeah. Just, just makes you tingle to think about it, you know. That also, though, that there's like these points of, of connection which could lead to, uh, you know, reintegrating us with our surroundings. But there's also these points of separation, and I think shoes is one of them. You know, if you think yeah. about it, like we used to just touch the earth and the textures and all of that, you know, and, and now we've got this barrier. And yeah. I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a there's a that's a that's a like a a metaphor for for, for something not so good. Yeah. And in terms of like my children at school, when they go and do gardening outside, they they have to put gloves on. It's kind of the, the wash your hands, wash your hands. It you know that it's dirty. 
Um, whereas actually all the beneficial good bacteria in the soil and, you know, even raises your serotonin levels, isn't it? And touching plants and the beneficial oils. So that kind of, yeah, that barrier that we're putting up again um, between us and, and the outdoors. Yeah, definitely see that. And and you know, it's a, it's again like being at home now. We we we're, we're in this vital context. That that's that's what we've got is we've got to sort of stop and notice, stop and touch, stop and be touched thing. Um, yeah. I mean, is it changing your family dynamic? Do you think? Is 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 it? Yeah, I I see my children getting on better with each other actually. Um, they. My son is particularly quite independent. He's He's got his friends. He's got his sports. He goes off and does that. And he really doesn't need his little sister who can irritate him and wind him up. And so he, he tends to be a little bit distant from her. But I do see, yeah, they're, they're chatting more. When we're going for a walk, we're kind of pairing off. I'm ending up walking with my husband more. And they, they kind of are doing their thing together. And that's really lovely to see, actually. Because I've never, you know, ever kind of said, oh, their kids, they get on, they get on so well together. They tend to argue more than they get on well. Um, but I can, I can see that almost like the green shoots of their relationship mm. because they, they suddenly need each other. They're not seeing any other kids and, um, they're learning how to interact with each other. And that's, yeah, really nice. I hope it lasts. It's lovely. Um, I mean, we've got, we've got a situation, um, well, I don't know. We've just, we've, it's another thing like the running that we've got round to doing. I don't know if you do this in your house, but just a simple thing of using a talking stick to sort out when there's been a big kerfuffle. Yeah. Do you, do you ever do that? I don't use a talking stick. I, I, I will get involved in their conversation, not to fix it, but I will listen to each one. I'll give them their chance to say everything they want to say, and then I will try and express it to the other. And they're, they're not meant to respond. And then I do it for the other. So they then have oh. each other's opinion. And that's, I suppose it's a similar kind of concept, but they, the aim is that they both feel very heard. And then yeah. actually, then I'm like, so, so that's what's happening. What are you going to, what are you going to do? What are you going to work out from that? And I leave them to come up with the solution. And very often they, they can actually. Um, so the talking stick, that's the kind of giving people a chance to have, have their say. Yeah. 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 yeah but. But it isn't just sort. <laughs> That's funny because it isn't. It isn't for us. It's not just sorting out why why the kids are pissed off at each other. Yeah. It's sorting out why we're pissed off with them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Interrupted. So, uh, um, and you know, yeah. it's. But but honestly, we've only done it twice. Yeah. For two kind of major kerfuffles that happened. One that didn't even involve my little boy. I can't even remember what it was. But but there was like there was a thing with my daughter and. We needed to sort it out, and it was just me, Ali, my wife, and my daughter sat. And um, it was it was most it was most miraculous, really, just just how the dynamic changes, just because you know I, what? It, no, I can remember that. So Ella was Ella was hopping mad about something, mm-hmm. and um, the problem is she's so hard to listen to when she's hopping mad. <laughs> well, I thought, well, we create this situation. I said, okay, you've got the stick, and we really are honestly going to sit here and not say anything. Until you finished, yeah. and boy, it—I mean, it was hard to do for the first five minutes. <laughs> Committed to it, we sat there and did listen until she counted down. And eventually, I said, "Are you done?" Yeah. And, no, and carried on again for a while. <laughs> eventually, done now. Yeah. Yeah. Handed over the stick with a like, ah, 
Yeah. We worked out. And then yesterday, uh, my little boy had came in and grabbed, we finally given my little girl a phone, uh-huh. a smartphone, just because of the kind of, we wouldn't have done it, but, but just because she's cut off from her mates, we thought, okay, fair enough. Oh, yeah. All and that's it, but it's going to be quite limited because I'm really super conscious of how that can go wrong. But, um, anyway, so she's got a phone and, my little boy walks in, grabs the phone, and then all hell breaks. There's yeah. really hell breaks loose. Um, luckily, I and I thought, well, I'm going to stay out of the way until I think I can actually come in and, and be useful here because um, everyone else is going nuts. <laughs> and eventually I came in and said, okay, we're going to do this thing that you saw us doing the other day. We're going to use the talking stick. And bless his little heart, when we got down to why he'd come in and done that, which did cause an absolute mayhem, Something had happened five minutes earlier where his feelings had been overlooked and, and, and really you could see why. But we'd never have got to that until yeah. like maybe bedtime. Yeah. We yeah. might finally have heard that. Yeah. This yeah. thing actually enabled him. And bless him, he was, he was sobbing. He, was, he, he went yeah. from being absolutely annoying little twerp. Yeah, yeah. Goodness me, how can yeah. he be so annoying? To, oh my goodness, that's why you did that. Yeah. The whole thing. Off. Yeah. There's no such thing as bad behaviour, the whole, you know, it's just lacking the skills to communicate what they're feeling effectively, and that's what comes out in certain behaviours. And So um, how are you managing screen time then? How's that working out in the, the lockdown? Uh, we banned it. Completely. Yeah, have you? Good work. Yeah? Well, just, just quite simply, right? So so I said, look, I'm sick and tired of um, the fact that, that you're constantly saying, can we watch something, can we watch something, can you watch something? Yeah. You're yeah. You are blinging screen addicts. You can't berserk. Oh, let me have some. Go on. Go on. I'm craving it. Like, I've got something. Addicts. You're 7 and 11. Addicts. Not having yeah. addicts in my house. Uh, you know, not 7 I'm not encouraging addictive behavior in 7 and 11 year olds. You know, not having that. So are you, are you modeling, um, non-addictive behavior yourself? Well, you can't have the internet at home. Yeah. That's super yeah. And we, uh, occasionally sit down and watch a film. Yeah. But, you know, even last night we did that and thought, nah, let's turn this off and talk to each other, you know. So, uh, no, we really, we, we really do model it. Um, the only internet we get is at work. That's why I've had to come down here to do this Skype thing. Yeah. Um, so basically, so Kit, Kit, my little boy said, because basically it's only linked to arguments. It's only linked to sort of mm-hmm. campaigning and hassling us. Can we watch something? I said, until this can be like a positive thing. Yeah, yeah. that we see more connection between us as a family as a result of any contact we have as a screen, we need a net benefit. Yeah. Well, if there's not a net benefit, no screen yeah. at all. Why would we? Why would we do something that has a net loss to it? Yeah. So, so, um, so Kit said, oh, we'll have, we'll have uh, screen time Friday evening if we've been good. And, and so they chose, I mean, to be fair, they chose the worst possible film. We shouldn't have allowed it. It was, it was Minions. It was you know, what? Oh, Minions, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not a fan of Minions. And I sat and watched some of it with him, I just thought, this is awful. <laughs> like, we have this routine just before bed that we play Dead Man. You, you know, Dead Man, you blindfold yourself and... <laughs> ...got grab and all that. And it's become, after, you know, it used to be a bit too hyper and often go wrong, but we've got to the point where we can yeah. do that, and it, and it's there's no downside. It's just hilarious, yeah. fun, yeah. and we burn off energy, and it's just, everybody's got their own style, and it's really funny. Definitely. Oh, Dead Man has been going like a dream. And after that screen time, yeah. it pear shaped for the first time in, yeah. in three weeks. So I said, right, we get Friday night film night. Sorry, that's off too. So, you know, we, we might give it another go and say, this time, guys, you've got to prove to me. 
quite honestly, um, why would we? It's, it's like, you know, yeah. I, I let my kids snort cocaine either. <laughs> Glad to hear it. What's the yeah. difference? It's all dopamine. D- dopamine rewards yeah, it. Yeah, it is. Bullshit. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't want it in my house, you know. So, um. Yeah, yeah. So what I found interesting, um, about all this and lack of food in the supermarkets is suddenly something that's been seen as a little bit eccentric, um, you know, going out and foraging for food. Suddenly people are quite interested in it because it's like, oh, might I not be able to get my fresh food? What might I do instead? And even, um, he's talking to the kids about, oh, you know, if we, if we run out of toilet roll, what are we going to use from the garden? And <laughs> go around and have a fill of an inside. Oh, yeah, it's got to be, uh, you know, the lamb's here, hasn't it? You know, it's, that's your double quilted, Latin plush. <laughs> so it's suddenly, suddenly that angle has, um, a bit more relevance, I think, um, when, yeah. when you do have to question whether your food will be available and whether other things, and it, I think it kicks in that, that kind of instinct to provide for your family and to make sure they've got enough. And you do start looking at the, you know, the food options around you and thinking, okay, well, that could supplement that. If I can't get spinach, right, we're doing that. Um, yeah, I think it brings a kind of a level of importance to something that is just a bit of a, can be seen as a little bit of an eccentric, nice, fun thing to do. It feels a bit more relevant. So, I don't know, are you are you finding that? Yeah, I mean, I I wrote a, a rebuttal to um, a Richard Maybe article years ago. Richard, Richard Maybe uh, has got a bit sort of edgy about the fact he might be unleashing herds of uh, yes. of uh, people under the land to... Uh, to, 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 to take everything and leave the birds and animals with nothing to eat. He, he, he kind of got himself in, into a state of mind where he felt he had to make a public statement, I think. Mm, yeah. where the wildings are, where he was kind of like downplaying it, saying, you know, I I uh, I only forage, oh, I forget how he put it, but he was basically saying, I only forage a little bit because I want to leave it for nature and all this sort of thing. Yeah. And, and he kind of painted this picture of it being like a, a sort of um, middle class leisure pursuit, basically. And, 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 yeah. and so I wrote a bit of a rebuttal to that called Foxing is not a middle class leisure pursuit, you know. But but like it's it's actually um I mean I understand his concerns, I just yeah, don't yeah, absolutely. Because for me the issue is that, that we uh as a species have disconnected from land. Yeah. You know, he was actually saying at the time, second James Lovelock reference of the of the conversation. Yeah, oh impressive. <laughs> At the time, I think we need to consider what James Lovelock said about retreating into cities and living off hydroponically grown food. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, okay, okay, at least now we know where we stand in this conversation because, you know, because I had a re- chat with him afterwards by email. But, I mean, I understand that's your position, but I, I absolutely hate that position because, you know, for me, the idea is we've got out of the biosphere. We've become this separate thing that's sitting here leaching poison into it because we've separated ourselves from it. What the answer is not for us to separate ourselves even further. The answer is for us to get right back in. And to me, foraging is like someone referred to it as like it's like a gateway drug into uh, into <laughs> into full integration with the biosphere. You know, yeah, you start absolutely. and this and that. So, yeah, I think I think now is a time when people won't see it as a as a as a um, just this kind of thing that you do. It's kind of cool or whatever. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a necessity to to, 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 to to look around you and say, what have we got? Because what if this lockdown causes total economic collapse, which it may well do, 
Exactly. We're going to get our food from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and suddenly, I suppose if that did happen, then the concerns about taking too much become secondary to most people because it does that survivalist instinct is what kicks in. And, you know, and we're not there yet. It's more about supplementing um, and, you know, I've always been interested in, um, you know, the gut health and thinking about plant diversity and when the options in supermarkets can be quite limited it's thinking about you know keeping that diversity in your diet which i think is really important uh so yeah we're not we're not at that kind of crisis point and and i still think for the vast majority of people it's not going to be something they start doing but i have just noticed a bit more interest when i'm chatting to friends that they're like, oh, you know, oh, what can you, what could you do with that? And oh, wild garlic, where, where do you find that? Um, so that's that's been quite interesting, actually. Well, you know, I think that at this point, I mean, for a start, I think the thing that I think is, um, or the thing I'm concentrating on is, is you know, what plants have you got within 50 yards of your home? You know, yeah. like what have you got in your garden? What's growing down your street? What's in the park or, or whatever, wherever you are, you know, somewhere nearby, what have you got that's growing and that's uh, edible? And, and in the vast majority of cases, the, the, the idea of it being overpicked, I, I just don't understand because when you have this mower that you run across your lawn, no one says, I hope you're not over mowing your lawn. Yeah. <laughs> they probably are. <laughs> you know, strim the, 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 the yeah. hedge. Oh, I hope you're not over strimming the hedge. You know, exactly. And what is the difference, other than the fact that when you mow, that's a stupid thing to do if, you, if you're not doing anything with those clippings. That could be part of the cycle and the system. You know, it was when, you, when you forage, that's going right into your gut. Hallelujah. You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're doing something really yeah. constructive there. So. We're not talking about rare mushrooms. We're talking about, you know, nettles and things that are growing in abundance. And, and, and actually... You may find there are more things like that because the usual maintenance of, of places will not be happening quite as much in sort of in kind of parks and things like that. I don't know whether, you know, there might be less of that going on at the moment. So, Well, even in parks, you know, I've, I've talked to this um, fascinating guy in, uh, in Denmark and he's, he's like, you know, I think he's got a little bit of landscape historian stuff under his belt and ecology and this and that. But, but he knows all about the foraging. And, and, and he was saying, what we need to do, actually, is get the council to strim the nettles and the ground elder in the parks. Yeah. Just to begin with, so we get the message, like, when we strim those nettles constantly, they constantly grow back. When we strim that ground elder constantly, it constantly grows back. So all through the summer, especially if we have a bit of rain, we have constant nettles, constant ground elder. Whereas if you let it grow up, and it gets to that point where the hormones kick in to produce mm-hmm. the flowers, then it's yeah. past the point where it's, it's, it's usable. And since they're perennials, there's nothing, you're not hurting the, the plants because yeah. they've got a root system, loads of seed in the ground anyway. It's all good. And then, but the thing is, after a while, we wouldn't need the strimmer because everybody would be coming harvesting the nettles and doing the yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is like part of the grand strategy that I think we should have, how to have much more wild food in the world next year than we do this year and there's one simple thing you can do ladies and gentlemen in order to ensure that happens and that's eat what's there now yeah because yeah. it will grow back and then it'll grow back and then it'll grow back and at the end of the year here's this huge pile of dandelions nettles ground elder 
that has been produced by this single plant, which had you not done that, mm. the pile that it produced would be much, much smaller. So what amazing thing to make more yeah. food in the world, eat the food there is, you know, and it's the yeah. opposite to this scarcity, alarmist position that people have about it. What if everybody yeah. foraged? Here's the answer, folks. What if everybody <laughs> There'd be more to eat than there is now. Ah. Yes. And I think people are, at the moment, they've been panic buying seeds and compost and they're like, right, well, we're going to grow fresh food. And, and that is fantastic. I will also be growing some food, but we're not going to see the results of that for really quite a long time, other than my little lettuce leaves popping out at the moment. So, yeah, you really are missing a trick if you're not looking around you now for what you can eat right now. Yeah. So, so, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm super stirred up about it. Like, what can I do to get people in my village and my surroundings? Um, or what can we do nationally? Like, we've got uh, a whole network of foragers and, and people are kind of chatting on this forum that we've got. What can we do in this moment? You know, like, because this is almost like, I know it's the moment for a lot of things, but it's seriously, it's the moment for local food. Yeah. And, and as you say, the stuff that's there now, not the stuff that we'll plant and harvest in a year's time, you know the stuff that there now. So it is really we 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 have such an opportunity to um to get this uh this kind of message across and 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 infect people with with the with the foraging bug. Yeah. And particularly the next generation of foragers. All the kids are off school, and I think children are by nature absolutely fantastic foragers. They're you know deft little fingers that can get into bits that you can't get to and. And they're near it around. They can spot things. Yeah, they can. Well, they spot different I, things. I could spot morels that I didn't see because yeah. they're near it around. It's not fair. It's yeah. an unfair advantage. <laughs> and I think there's something, you know, children, you know, very young children grow up with that innate desire to to pick things and put them in their mouth. And you spend a lot of years training them out of that, don't you? No, don't put that in your mouth. No, no, no. In the fear of them choking or poisoning themselves. But actually... Very soon, with a bit of education, you can kind of turn that the right way. And, you know, I've had lots of situations where my kids are tinier, they'd be like plucking the petal out of a dead nettle and sucking the nectar out of the end. And I'd have, you know, other mums coming up, up to me and saying, oh, they to put something in their mouth. It's like, oh, that's okay. That's fine. They know what they're doing there. Um, and, and yeah, and that kind of, that gap is something that you can, you know, with a little education, children actually can can do it. And they, they're not going to put the poisonous berries in their mouth because they know what, what is okay and what isn't. And yeah. that, um, that tasting the world around you is, is the ultimate connection, really, with your place and your patch. I don't think anyone ever puts something in their mouth without you know, that they have picked up from outside without really thinking about it. You're going to smell it. You're going to check it is what you think it is. And I don't think you can replicate that level of of connection in it any other way, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Multi-sensory. And, you know, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and I think kids, like, as they get older as well, I think there's the whole, um, you know, opportunities for the imagination and... Bear grill style, you know, could you survive? What would you eat? Um, can you, you know, are you going to be brave enough to, to pick the nettles? Um, and, and all of that side of it, I think, is quite interesting as they then get older. Um, yeah, just 
they, they like a bit of drama with their food. It's like it's not just been plonked on a plate in front of them. <laughs> they, they have been an active process of, mm. of seeking that and, um, and, and then they're more willing, I think, to, to taste different flavours. Um, you know, I found even with something like blackberries, when you buy blackberries from the supermarket, they taste a bit revolting. They're, you know, they, and the kids will be like, oh, no, it's too sour. And then out, out in the hedgerows, they're putting some kind of semi-ripe blackberries in their mouth and they think it's great. <laughs> or they find it funny if they just spit it out and it doesn't matter <laughs> um, if they're not spitting it out on the, on the dinner table. Uh, and that's, yeah, just that kind of, there's more of a willingness, I think, to, to explore different flavours. Here's a funny thing actually to do with blackberries. I made, I made blackberry fruit, fruit leather this year. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, the approach I'm taking is is I'm not putting loads of sugar in and I'm not reducing it down for hours and all of that stuff. Mm. What I'm doing is just completely pureeing it. Seeds yeah. all. Yeah, Although yeah. the seeds don't get broken down, they're still there. Yeah. Oh, they're all right, yeah. And then um, I'm just dolloping a piece on, on some greaseproof paper, folding the greaseproof paper over and then putting a rolling pin over it. Yeah. Out flat. Um, and then putting it in, we've got a drying room at work. And you end up with this, it's, it's, it's not very sweet, but it's, it's delicious once you've got a taste of it. Yeah. And you crunch those seeds. Normally the seeds would pass right through you, but because you've got to chew down on the leather, uh-huh. you end up biting on the seeds. You get the flavor of the seeds and you yeah. get the, and the goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And so we went for a walk the other day and it was quite a long, it was, it was, it was the annual morel hunt actually. And we found yeah. uh, a nice round number of morels precisely. Uh-huh. I think someone had to first, um, but um, but uh, it's a long walk, and we'd agreed to leave the food at the car. Yeah. But I had blackberry fruit leather in my pocket, <laughs> and um, normally they probably would have not pressed through the the, the fact that the flavour's a bit sour and, and all of that. But because it's all they had, they yeah. really gave the chance, yeah. and they ended up just asking for more and more and more and we ate nearly half of my stash of it we yeah. so much blackberry fruit leather we ate on that walk so there's something about that as well you know you find yeah. yourself in a context where there's nothing else to eat yeah and, and genuine hunger yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely no I've found that and then they like as well the, the spectacular things you can find there's nothing quite as exciting as finding a puffball mushroom and, I, and you know walking home carrying it proudly like you've got to have got the skull of something yes. um, <laughs> and, and yeah you don't you don't get that coming back from the supermarket with your little, you know nice pack of mushrooms in in plastic there's you know um and the, the cutting it open and yeah and they always end up like chucking a bit of it around or something because there's so much of it that it's, you could get much more involved in it and yeah. smelling it and that kind of excitement I think is hard to hard to replicate and so what, what are you looking for right now what are you finding out and about well it's just whatever's there I mean I've I've, I've started doing uh, these short little videos to, to, to show people what's there and <laughs> it's just so much there I mean one of my favourite things is to make a salad uh with as many ingredients as possible. I have to say, I haven't done it for the last few days, but it's it's the time of year now where it starts getting a bit dizzying, you know, because we, we did one we did one back where I was doing, doing a little um, demonstration around, it's actually my neighbour's lawn, which is bigger and more diverse than ours, uh, and I did this little thing where I ran around the lawn, just <laughs> how many plants can I find just by moving really quickly and 
yeah. and I've come back. And, and we've got 38 different plants uh-huh. for us. You know, um, just, just, and it wasn't just from the lawn. There were some of the slight edge plants, like uh, ground ivy, which encroaches a little bit on the lawn, but it's because there's, there's yeah. this shade. You know, but still, 38 plants from basically mm-hmm. a lawn, um, and, and, and they went into a salad. Uh, so, um, Would your kids well, eat that? Yeah, my, well, my son, my son particularly likes that. And he'll remember. He'll say, oh, well, that time we found 29, Dad. Yeah. yeah. Or, or whatever. He'll remember particular occasions. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I say, we're just going to get a little bit of everything we find. And we do this in the depth of winter and still come up with double figures, you know. Yeah, yeah. So just now, it's, I'm almost don't dare do it because, you know, we'll, we'll probably get 100, you know. If, wow, if, yeah. And walk and, and, and get all of those. But, you know, it's just focusing in on, I suppose the birch sap has just finished. So we, we did a lovely thing there with the kids, uh, which, which we, which, which is just about a tradition now. I think it's, it's like the third year that the kids would have come to the woods. It's probably more than that, but, but, but now we're doing a thing where we go and, and I take a ladle, cup our hands like that. So we pour, we're using the ladle, we pour, pour the sap into the hands. Yeah. And it spills, but it doesn't matter because we're standing in the forest. Yeah, exactly. So we got our birch tapping bucket and, and we ladle out and then everybody yeah. wants more and we go round and round and then I do a little meditation on, you know, the rain comes down and the trees draw it up and they produce leaves and fruits and flowers and, and then it all comes down and we eat it. And so that's, you know, that's another part of the cycle and, and it's all going round and round and round. But here we are at this time in the spring where the trees are waking up to start it all over again. Or, you know, we, we do variations on that theme every year just to think about it. And, um, and so that's lovely. And then, and then also we take some uh, slow blossom because yeah. the slow blossom is, um, closely related to the almonds. And I love this thing, like in the Old Testament, there's a lot about almonds. Yeah. And the Hebrew word for almond means uh, awakening, basically, because yeah. they saw that every year. Here are these white blossoms come out, yeah. bare branches without any leaves. Yeah. And, and and so it's like the land is waking up again. And the yeah. first yeah. thing the little blossom, you know, against the, the landscape. Yeah. So we take some of that slow blossom and, and eat that because it's closely related to almond. And we're looking at yeah. all of that symbolism of the land waking up with that. Yeah. And eat a little bit of slow blossom and drink the drink the bird sap. So it's quite, you know, yeah, it's like yeah, it's you know, like let's get involved, let's participate, and let's think about, you know, it's a literal thing, but it has the meanings for all of the other kind of awakenings that you might want to think about. Um, so that's that's cool. And then, um, yeah, we're just just starting to harvest nettles and um, yeah, cleavers is another nice one. I don't know if you harvest cleavers and make a drink from it ever, but but if yeah, you, if, I haven't made a drink from it, but yeah, we've had them steamed. But um, now they're getting quite bushy, as, yeah. as you've seen. So you can yeah. really, you can cut um you can cut uh, a nice bunch, and you can you can fill a bag full of it. So you, but it's best to just do enough for the day. So yeah. You get enough to fill a jug. Yeah. Smash it up with your hands as much as you can. Put it yeah. in the jug. Pour water on it, or birch sap is even better. Yeah. Uh, and then you leave that for 20 minutes, half an hour, and then just strain it through a sieve. And you've got a beautiful drink there that's green, tastes of peas, a little bit of green banana flavor there. And, oh, wow. and it's, it's, it's really special. And it's supposed to have like really good for your lymphatic system. Yeah. But it's just so cool. And you can, you can do that so easily. Um, so that's a nice one. Yeah, I normally come back with plenty stuck to my back and stuff, and normally, anyway. <laughs> come back with you uninvited. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So hang on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We always called it Sticky Willy. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People always, the kids laugh at that. 
that. Yeah, so. yeah, they like that. <laughs> Good sport, fast walking to see how much you can stick on mum before she notices. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah oh, we'll try that. We'll try making that. Definitely. Yeah, I've had it steamed like a kind of spinachy green, um, which is yeah, is nice, isn't it? Yeah, and I'll have it done that, actually on its own. I'll put it in salad, so I'll have to try yeah. that. I'll yeah, try. yeah. And that's the beauty of it, isn't it? Like, so many different things you can do with it. You know, we could, I was thinking earlier, like, maybe we should just do a podcast about one plant every once in a while. Wow, yeah. Ask everybody, what are you doing with Recipes, yeah. What's your best nettle story slash recipes slash, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, the picking or whatever. Yeah. They tell you, they tell you lies, don't they? Like people say, oh, this gypsy guy told me that if you hold your breath when you harvest the nettles, it don't sting you. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, there's one born every day, isn't there? I went and tried, I, mean, I honestly did go and try holding my breath whilst picking nettles. Yeah. I had a straight face when he told me. He couldn't believe yeah. it when I came back and said I'd tried it. <laughs> well, you actually I felt know. that. My dad's um, a farmer. He's got the kind of the, the, most callous kind of worn hands and he can he can just kind of pick it without noticing i never know if he actually gets stung or whether that's part of his kind of um his performance um but he would just like pick hand and then and then hand, hand it to you and you'd be like oh, oh, oh thanks uh, yeah that's very much kind of picking nettles to to make soup was definitely something i did as a child i don't think i was ever that effective at washing them properly so i think it's like nettle soup for me i was looking for that kind of undertone of grit but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Nettle laughs> and soup. yeah did you forage as a child i did but i was not a plant man i was a poor plant child i should say um <laughs> so mushrooms and berries and nuts yeah yeah so a good good solid thing if we harvested chestnuts yeah just the blackberries yeah um Plums and 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 a, and a reasonable repertoire of mushrooms, you know, yeah. like wood bluets, parasols, field mushrooms, puffballs. Uh, my uncle Frank, who is, uh, I had two quite anarchic uncles, and Uncle Frank was one of them. Uh, but he could be a bit mean at times, so I I I sort of slightly gloated when he accidentally picked um what was it ivory clitosybe, which could have killed him actually. That's deadly, that one, but but, yeah. but he, he got that mixed up with his fairy ring champignon, you know, uh-huh. fairy <laughs> once, and he was in bed in absolute agony for, for quite some time. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, Uncle Frank, need- it kind of serves you right, because you were a bit of... <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, I did tell you that like, the funny side of Uncle Frank was he'd sit there watching the Osmonds on telly and just just cursing and insulting them. I don't know, you, you know who the Osmonds are, you know, that's boy band, yeah. Right? Yeah. I'd say, Uncle Frank, why, why do you watch the Osmonds on the telly if you don't like them? And here's me sort of eight <laughs> six. He says, he says, because I enjoy hating them. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I kind of, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm glad and, uh, and, and also, yeah, anyway, for, for, yeah. for some experiences in my early life. But, but yeah. at least for example, he got out there and picked mushrooms. Um, yeah, exactly. But I didn't dare eat those after Uncle Frank's experience. Yeah. I was a bit older. Um, so I'm just trying I to think. I am nervous, yeah, with, especially because I don't always trust my ID skills. So I keep it pretty simple where, especially if I'm feeding it to the children, I just have, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I still, I think I'm still traumatized by my mum killing my, um, guinea pigs by 
feeding them hemlock <laughs> and me going in in the morning and finding these little cold dead bodies and be like ah and the, the thought of doing that to my own children by misidentifying something does kind of linger so I'm like check 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 again yeah no I'm definitely happy ah. with that <laughs> Well, wow. puffballs, because you can't go wrong with them. <laughs> Fancy that. My goodness me. Fancy your mum killing your guinea pigs. I know. I know. I probably have some counselling for it at some point, uh-huh. but, you know, I think I'm coping. <laughs> well, it's a bit of grit in your... That's a bit of grit too, isn't it? Because, like, as you say, that particular bit of grit has given you a very sensible... You know, people yeah. say to me, oh, I'm far too scared of poisoning myself to pick mushrooms, plants, whatever it is. I say, listen, you will, you will make a great forager. You, yeah. you are, you, that is the, you have the first ideal necessary case. <laughs> exactly. Here, forager yeah. is scared of poisoning yourself. Yeah, I'm, check it, check I, again. Yeah. I, I am so concerned about people who are not scared of poisoning themselves. <laughs> exactly. You know, make that your starting point. Now move on and learn your ID skills. Yeah. That's it. But, please be scared of poisoning yourself. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And that is where foraging with someone experienced is is just like the complete gift because you you can you can learn it gives you the confidence to be able to check with some, someone who's saying no that's definitely this um, and I think that's that's such a valuable way of learning actually because I, I I do rely on on the internet and on field guides but it's just so reassuring to be able to go out with someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, and but but failing that, you need Uncle Frank to poison himself or your mother yeah. to kill things. Because then, <laughs> you know, at least then, you know, with, uh, with with those object lessons firmly installed in your in your worldview, yeah. Definitely. You everything that's a good lesson. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, safe foraging, please. <laughs> I mean, I always say to people when I take them out for a walk, you know, like I've got two jobs. The first is to inspire you and the second is to frighten you. So, sorry. <laughs> spend a little time on both. Yeah, yeah. Look how similar this hemlock is to this cow parsley. Could yeah, you tell that's them? that's exactly it. We're going to have a test at the end of the day. We're going to put them out and you eat the one you think is the safe one. And those that decide can go yes. home. The rest of you will oh, I'll call the ambulance. <laughs> I don't really do that, obviously, but it's just kind of, yeah. <laughs> No, I love it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, it brings an immediacy to it, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It makes people pay attention, yeah. That's definitely, right. Definitely, definitely. But um, I guess the question is, you know, what can we do for people? Because, you know, I mean, I came across an excellent Facebook group, which I'll, I'll, uh, I'll probably link to the notes on this podcast the other day. I didn't join it because I got befuddled by the questions. It was asking me to have really read their statement. You know how Facebook groups, oh. groups, they say, have you read our thing and you tick it and you lie? Okay, exactly. And then they ask, just... yeah, if you haven't read it, you can't answer this question. I thought, bugger, you really do mean. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I yeah. couldn't get back to the, to the question to answer it after I'd read the thing. Oh, no. So then I had to open up the question all over again and yeah, start again. They don't want and, me to ask. And then I realized I still hadn't read it properly. So I gave up. <laughs> But I'm going to go back because it's an excellent plant identification site for foragers. And there's actually really accomplished botanists offering their time if you'll do what they tell you. So they'll, they'll ignore you if they don't do what you tell them. 
But if you go by their thing, that right, if you're going to ask us to identify a plant, you need to do this, 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 and this, and this, and this. Yeah. And that's what the questions were about. They were trying to weed out the idiots or the okay, lazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're only going to get in this group if you've actually done it. But the point is, there's an amazing resource on 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 Facebook that people are willing to give their time to help identify, which I think yeah. is is fantastic. And there's ones like that for mushrooms and everything. But um, you know, um. I, I, you know, like I say, me and lots of other foragers just now are thinking, how could we step up to the podium and have something helpful to say to people through what medium and how could we approach this at the moment to help people that, that, that want to, want to learn a bit more? I mean, um, but I suppose the point is that, 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 um, this sort of culture of expertise is, uh, is actually a bit of an obstacle because, you know, uh, the fact is somebody that knows one plant can teach that one plant, you know. Exactly. And I think it is starting with the very basic common plants, like you say, that are in your garden or, or very nearby. And and most people know those anyway, you know, if you're talking about the nettles and the, the dandelion type things. So I think it's getting over the hurdle that this has to be a, a special thing, an expedition that you are and, you know, going on this, this mission. Actually, no, you can just be... Taking a little wander two minutes down the road, um, taking that kind of sense of having to having to know everything before you can start. You only need to know one little thing to get started. So, which is why nettles is such an amazing place to start. Yeah. Because you know, if you think about it, you can't misidentify them. Exactly. You know, if it's not stinging you, it's not a nettle. So, <laughs> I think I think I think probably the first place to start is. Uh, I mean, I was talking at length to. Uh, Another forward to Robin Harford about this last week, but like nettles, nettles and dandelions, let's get everyone picking those, especially now because the dandelions are in flower. If you think you can't identify a dandelion, yeah. well, you know, you, you can at the moment, you know, yeah. identify the leaf because it's the thing that the flowers attached to. Um, exactly. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do, do you think, um, do you have stuff on your website that, that kind of, um, no, not really. I've got a chapter in my book, um, that, takes you through the year in a kind of in a very beginner type easy access way with easy things to forage with kids and some recipes um so yeah that's my book the no nonsense guide to green parenting um which is definitely worth the read for that it's just making it accessible letting people know what they might find at you know different months of the year um and a, a way of getting started really um which is good, but I, I use online resources as well quite a bit to to get advice. Um, and yeah, I mean, you have a have a book, don't you? Which is you know considered a bit of a bible for for foragers, which you know people can still get at the moment, can't they? Yeah, well, yeah, it's it, it's quite in depth, and um, that's the aim. You're probably not. Um, I think people are a bit intimidated by it actually. Yeah, so for people starting out, um, I like as well. Um, Food You Can Forage by Tiffany Francis. That's nice. That's quite accessible with lots of lovely, interesting recipes in it, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I recommend that one. Yeah. It's a great one for kids. Um, I don't know if you... Ah! Oh, yes, I haven't seen that. Yeah, yeah, Foraging with Kids. Well, we... Can you see that? Yeah, 52 it... Wild and Free Edibles to Enjoy with Your Children. Ah, oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, that looks yeah, spot on, I, definitely. Can I have her on... On the podcast quite soon because um, she's obviously done all that work, like how to put it across to um, 
got stuff like how can I recognize chickweed and where to find it and then it's really thorough and um and then the little bits about herbal medicine connected to that um yeah I just wish we'd thought about this sooner you know because like, I, I just wish there was a there was a whole online resource thing just for kids I mean perhaps there is perhaps I've just haven't found it but yeah i i haven't found it no maybe, i don't, I don't maybe, think there is maybe we need to just get it together now like um just because there's so many people like so for example somebody wrote in the times the other day and mentioned the course that i'm doing um i saw but, that yeah i was thrilled because it's somebody that's on the course that happens to write for the times yeah because she was trying to find something for kids to do and she said yeah. well look it doesn't seem to be something for the kids but if you grown-ups do this course you could teach your kids, but I just think, wow, you no, know, maybe maybe we could get something together fairly quickly that, that just had some basics. Because, like we're saying, it doesn't need to be that in depth, does it? Like, here's no, exactly. forage, yeah, but, but do it in a sort of kid friendly way. Absolutely, yeah, I'll have a think about it actually. Um, I'm sure that would be up to, to getting involved. We could just sort of collaborate and, yeah, and yeah. Make, make it something that people could could upload stuff to if it was a bit more uh if you if you've got a new thing you could you could put it up there yeah I'm I think it's a bit, a bit of a gap in the online thing yeah there is yeah zillions of stuff for adults and um and not so much stuff because and i guess that the real fun is i mean we, we probably wouldn't because we don't want our kids like faces on 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 the internet too much yeah, and that. yeah 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 but some people who already do do that might be more happy about getting kids talking about what they do foraging wise yeah, yeah, yeah i'd probably yeah. i'd probably be happy to have an audio file up yeah audio is less kind of intrusive isn't it on on them and their identity and yeah okay well there's definitely potential isn't there yeah so i'll look forward to this space then <laughs> see what we can see what we can come up with um i just wonder whether you'd seen this as well um no uh, i haven't seen that no yeah so, oh, that's lovely yeah sorry for people listening okay. so this is sharing nature with children by joseph cornell and it has got the most wonderful things in it. It's uh, so there's a bird calling thing where you can um, attract birds by by learning a couple of basic calls. <laughs> yeah. And and the birds actually come. Um, yeah. My dad is a big one for animal and wildlife calls. Generally, <laughs> was always excruciatingly embarrassing for me as a child. You'd be in the supermarket and you'd hear like a pheasant noise from the other side of the supermarket. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I think Dad wants me. Okay, I better go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wonderful! Did he have a? Did he have quite a repertoire then? He's got quite a, quite a repertoire. Um, he's um he's always been into recording um wildlife on his kind of he still records on his retro Sony tape recorder um and and yeah and has a little slot on local radio where he has, has quite a following of people that are interested in hearing his nature sounds, but he himself has kind of perfected quite a few <laughs> um yeah he always used to be on the radio um and it would play on the on the school bus on the the way into high school um and then so there'd be my dad doing like a a vixen noise or something on on the school bus and then for the rest of the day whenever anyone saw me they'd be like doing a vixen call <laughs> it's just like you just don't you just don't need that when you're a teenager <laughs> <laughs> but now I come to appreciate it, and I will. Um, yeah. How old were you when you when you moved past Dad's embarrassing to Dad's call? <laughs> oh, like... I reckon it took quite a lot of years, actually. I think um, I probably thought that was great up until about the age of um, twelve, thirteen. Then it was horrific um, until 
I think I was probably early 20s and starting to to come back to, I suppose, I came at it more from like the low-carbon, climate-changey perspective. But then gradually the the connection that I'd had with nature as a child sort of, sort of found me again. And I realised I was asking him questions about stuff and kind of feeding on his, you know, his deep knowledge of, you know, he's a, a farmer on a, it's like a one-mile square bit of land, but he knows that land like anything. He knows everything on it. Um, and and how it changes and, and and also how it's changed over you know over seventy years, right. um, and so being able to kind of draw on that is really suddenly I was like oh okay he does he does know some stuff and actually actually it's quite interesting and I don't have to go to high school and pretend to be cool anymore um, so yeah it probably took it took a while I reckon there was a about a decade when he was out in the cold with his, <laughs> his skills, as far as I was concerned. But you come back to these things, don't you? I mean, seriously though, I wonder whether um, you know, isn't that isn't that a a really toxic situation that, <laughs> that the peer group thing at school for you <laughs> alienated yourself from your own heritage? Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I think it's quite common. I mean, it's also common for teenagers to reject what they know as part of that that moving away process so i do yeah i do feel it's in some ways a healthy stage but but equally i certainly wasn't getting any sense from my peer group that there'd be anything normal about being interested in that definitely um and as someone who was you know trying to fit in and trying to find my way and, and probably lacking quite a bit of confidence. It wasn't something I was going to talk about or, or stand up for, definitely. I mean, the thing is, I've, I've met... Um, and I, I, to be honest, I don't totally buy into um, the, the standard education approach, but mm-hmm. there are things about it, having been around teenagers who go through that Steiner system, yeah. they, don't, they don't do that. They don't... They can talk to adults and, and, yeah. and, and it's completely different. So... That's what started me flagging up to me. Hang on a minute. This isn't teenagers. This is teenagers in this toxic yeah. cult. My yeah. mother's take the point about there's a need to distance yourself and, and find your own identity. But I personally think that, that it's like a soup with too much salt in it. You know, like you've yeah. got, you've got, you've got kids that are, um, going through this phase where already the hormones and whatever yeah. are, interfering with their sense of who they are because who they are is changing and they're like I don't know who I am yeah and then you spend most of your waking hours talking to other people who don't know who the hell they are <laughs> yeah sense there's solidarity in the journey because you share that but yeah. that's not normal like in, in, a, in a tribe or a village yeah. you just yeah. wouldn't have been lumped together with all the other people that were confused you would have had nice grounded <laughs> anchored people kids yeah. that don't care yet they're not having a crisis of identity. And older people that have found out who they are, anchoring you. Yeah. And I think this situation at the moment where the teenage culture, where we've got all the emo stuff and the self-harm and all that, it's a yeah. product of confused people being locked in a cage together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, let them out to talk to someone that isn't confused. And we've moved, haven't we, so far away from that kind of it's a village to raise a child approach. Yes. Yeah. Um, and even in extended family often don't live close. And, yeah, it's it's hard to 
to recreate that, isn't it? And 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 um and yet we have the opportunity right now because like yeah. well, I mean, homeschool your kids anyway, right? Do you? No, I don't know. No. Oh no, okay. so you have to. Yeah, yeah. As, a, as a as a reflection of the current situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 a kind of a learning curve. <laughs> the, the homeschooling, the unschooling kind of angle. Yeah. Um, but no, mine go to um, very small primary school, um, which is lovely and does a does a really good job for them because it's so small and and so individual. Um, yeah, I don't know how I'd feel about homeschooling as a permanent thing. <laughs> I like I like my creative space and my my chance to write and my chance to be alone actually. So you know this has its has its challenges for me actually as much as it does for for them um, as all being together most of the time now. So yeah, yeah and I I just think that I mean for a start where I, where I'm coming from with this is is the kids being home. I feel like we've got an opportunity to to actually create our own culture. Yeah. It yeah. really it really pisses me off when I've got things coming that are feeding in from. Their culture at school, which is basically industrial, you know, um, whether it's to do with food or clothing or or just attitudes, you know, that that, that I feel like. Hang on a minute, you know, I I wouldn't mind if this was like um, other rich cultures, yeah, drawing my kids into something, but this is shit. This is an absolute yeah. type of shit that that. The kids are being drawn into to want to eat bad food and want to yeah. whatever um, the consumerist I, stuff as well the yeah some of these yeah. awful doll things my daughter desperate to collect they're just plastic upon plastic and then these really unpleasant <laughs> tartily dressed little figures that they get it's like oh i hate these I hate them but, you know what, what 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 is it that makes us feel that we have to let that happen you know, it's, it's an invasion. It's a violation. It's a, it's a, you know, who, who said people could do that to my kids, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And yet it's an insidious, broad spectrum influence coming from lots of places at once. So I can't say, could you stop doing that, please? Yeah. But at the same time, now we're all at home. I think, well, yeah. damn it, we've got the opportunity to, 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 to develop a culture that's not my culture just, you know, like let's yeah. co-evolve this. What are the kids like and what, what do we really feel, you know? And I think that is that is another really important thing to come out of this, that, that yeah. we have an opportunity to, 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 to re, recreate, um, a, you know, a family dynamic and a culture. And I think getting away from learning as being something you do for a test I think the kind of the test culture at school is something I really dislike, especially at primary level. So it's really nice to think, oh, actually, he hasn't got to think about his sats now. They're not going to happen. And there's awful times table on the computer test that my daughter's year were going to be the guinea pig year for. It's like, you know, all right, well, we'll learn times tables, but we'll do it in a, a slower manner and not in this awful test thing that's done on a computer where you have to you know, against the clock, you have to find the keys really quickly. And it's actually really quite stressful. And, you know, every other year has survived without that test. So why do we have to do that? So I think it's nice to step out of that. And it's an interesting thing as well as my son starting at high school next year. And I think that is quite a, a quite a change, I think, in terms of, like you're saying, the outside influences, I think, will will increase with that high school world at the moment i i know all the families that they go to school with it's a very small community and 
most of us are, you know, we're like-minded people. Uh, I won't, I won't have that knowledge of even who his friends' parents are when he goes to high school, and that is going to be, it's going to be a shift to get used to, I think. Yeah. Is your, is it your daughter? Is she yeah, starting at high school? Yeah. Same. Same year. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a change. And odd for them as well, because they might not. Who knows? Will they go back to primary school, or is that? I'm is mortified that that all this sort of rite of passage feeling that she was having, including parts of the term, <laughs> may not happen. Yeah. She's my son is, you know, the last sports day, the last, you know, the end of year performance where the year six is play a big role. It's yeah, it's yeah, it's a funny way, you know, it is it is one of the rituals and kind of patterns of life that is just suddenly like everything else stopped. And yeah, that's, that is an adjustment, isn't it? So. Also, there are nice things about having them back from school um, and in, in that family sphere. There are also the losses as well. Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, what's the story with your green parenting uh, role? Emerging? Yeah. Uh, so I, um, I worked for many years for the RSPB in conservation and, um, you know, I was living a very green lifestyle that was easy to do, the cycling to work and kind of living and breathing, you know, sharing sharing the messages of um, conservation and environmentalism. Um, and that was that was absolutely fine and, and, and easy to do. And then um, and then started a family and suddenly I just found it was really hard to apply the same values um and we ended up doing things that were really against my values it was kind of i suppose partly that floundering in early motherhood and um not really being confident in what i was doing um he was a he had reflux so he used to scream a hell of a lot of the time um, and so there were lots of times that i just you know felt utterly at a loss with what i was doing and we you know we'd end up like putting him in the car seat and driving around just to get him to sleep um and you know looking back it's like why did i why did i do that there were alternatives but in the in that midst in that heat of the moment um that was the kind of thing i ended up doing we just like be fearful of him being cold and so the heating was on much more and so from going from people that you know would hardly heat the house and have you know, have your jumpers on. It was like, no, no, we, oh, we must, you know, we must have it warm. And we're getting up in the middle of the night, and you know, you need it a bit cozier. Uh, yeah. You sort of see your your life choices going away from what they were, and and also some of the, the consumerism with having having a baby. It's that industry that when you're really trying to do your best, it's quite easy to get sucked into the things you supposedly need and the toys and the clothes and yeah I think it's just in that slight kind of perfectionist I'm going to be a really good mother I suddenly was like well hang on I'm I'm not actually living to my values anymore and so then it was a slow unpicking of what what do I want this life to be like how can we do that in a way that's more in keeping with, with what I care about and what I've built a life around. So the book came about really as a, a way of looking at that that gap, how you how you get from one to the other in a way that is 
is nurturing and kind to people in that situation. Because I also, at the time, I then did a lot of reading and I found lots of it quite um, guilt-inducing and fear-inducing. So there was lots about, that just made me feel awful if I'd used a disposable habit. This is going to be in the environment for thousands of years. It's like, I know, I feel awful. I'm not, I'm not trying to deny that that's the wrong thing, but I don't necessarily want to be made to feel guilty about it because in the end, you know, this is, I didn't find it particularly easy being a new mother. I you click into like survival mode. Are you doing what you've got to do in that moment? So, um, also fear-inducing, lots of talk of toxins and chemicals, and, and lots of that wasn't wasn't scientific. I come from the scientific background. I wanted something that was was more understanding about well, actually, there are chemicals in everything, whether that's plants or, or your kitchen spray, yeah. Yeah, um, and, and lots of that kind of fear-mongering, and it also tips over into things also like not, not vaccinating your children seem to be a big strand in the, the kind of the greener movement of parenting and actually you know I wanted to vaccinate my children and again I didn't want to feel fearful and guilty about that so I wanted to to write something that was was kinder more about the steps you can take the, the fun things you can do as well and that's where then the connection with nature comes in because I think that was something was totally missed out of all the green parenting books I read. They were about, you know, reducing your plastic, lowering your carbon footprint, reducing your waste, all of which is really, really important. But connection with nature is, for me, at the absolute core of it and, and the heart of it. Yeah. And and that's why, you know, that's why our next generation will hopefully care about the environmental aspects it's because of a deep connection and all the benefits that brings you as a person and how that helps you avoid some of the more negative aspects of, of you know modern life so it was that for me emerging of the a kind approach to green parenting with um helping to foster an appreciation of, of nature and the fun of of nature and, and getting outdoors and especially as children get older the adventures, the exploring, um, trying to make that something that people thought, oh yeah, I can, I can give that a go. But yeah, that's the story. Uh, I love the word using the, the, the I can, yeah, because I think what 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 I hear um, coming through is that you, you really try to avoid the kind of Old Testament "Thou shalt not" yeah. <laughs> or whatever, you know, like, yeah. uh, and then even um, not saying "thou should" either, you know. Yeah. But, but say thou could. <laughs> yeah, you could. exactly. <laughs> I think I can't help but come to any of this with, you know, with a sense of my own imperfection. I'm not going to, you know, be, be preachy because I'm not perfect and there are definitely things I could do better all the time. And, um, you know, I do, I live in a rural area. I, I use my car quite a bit and I, I feel guilty about that. But, when when you're shipping a child to their the football club they really want to get to, you I get in the car. And there are lots of ways I could feel guilty and there are lots of things I do to try and address that balance and, and but I think it is about a balance and, and I think 
when you're too prescriptive turns a lot of people off it's like you know you don't have to be perfectly green but every little step you take is is beneficial and um i think that is hopefully more welcoming for people and more accessible for more people and, and i think the more the more we can be you know i, I always refer back to the, to the to the old blue peter thing yeah. when i said here's one i made earlier you know <laughs> i think you know if we can be one that that was made earlier in in that like there's actually something better about our obviously our lived experience you know that somehow we're feeling more fulfilled there's there's more satisfaction there's more joy there's more hope and there's more freedom then that's 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 better than all the kind of prescriptive heavy heavy stuff that we could come up with um but, but just thinking about that, I mean, we've got the same dilemma with the, with the, we're very rural and, and cars and things. Um, so I'm always thinking about what technology does. Yeah. Whether or not, um, you know, your use of technology can be a tool. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that creates more, more bondedness, more gathering together, more good stuff happening rather than less, you know. And, yeah. and as I said, the example with the screen earlier. I'm finding that on the whole, we, we, we have a net loss, definitely. But like, just thinking about a simple thing like our little boy needing to get in the football club. Yeah. I've stopped feeling guilty for asking my mate Tim, who runs the football club, can I just drop Kit with you and you take him and bring him back? Because like, the net benefit is there, you know, like, Kit will sit in the car and talk to the other lads. Oh yeah, definitely. That thing. And, and there's, there's a, there's a less time of football, you know, um, and also, I feel obligated to Tim. So, Tim, if you're listening, sooner or later, I'm going to make this, you know. Payback. <laughs> I'll do all this stuff because I don't like to just it be a one-way flow here. Do you know what I mean? And it sets up this obligation that, okay, someone's helping you out and, and, and that. And it, so that, for me, is a way yeah, to yeah. To, um, to stop, you know, because we would feel embarrassed about asking. Well, it's not fair. He's already, he's already running the club, and now you're asking him to ferry kit backwards and forwards. Think, yeah, but he's doing the journey anyway. Exactly. exactly. All I've got to do is make sure that I can see this as, as not just a take thing. And, and uh, so it's, it's, it's once we start thinking about it like that, that the point is that there's, there's this positive opportunity aspect to it that comes out of the sense that I don't want to have the carbon footprint of those unnecessary journeys. Think, well, what's the opportunity here? And then all of a sudden it starts feeling good rather than feeling, oh my. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think it's hilarious. I mean, I, I you know, do that football run with loads of boys, you know, 11-year-old boys in the back of the car. I don't know, what, you know, listening into what on earth they're talking about and their fart noises. And, yeah, it's it's a little insight into their world because they kind of forget I'm there and they're kind of chatting away. And, yeah, that's it. It's That is creating that sense of community, isn't it? And a little a little chance for them to get together. It sounds like you've solved it in the same way, then. You're doing a lift chair thing. Yeah, we do a lift chair, yeah. Power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's good to good to good to talk and um, compare yeah. notes, really. Yeah, right. absolutely. No, it's good. It's good fun. So, thank you for joining us for this week's Worldwide podcast. Do as ever go on the uh, the Forager page at www.forager.org.uk forward slash podcast to see the notes from this week's episode and also links to. Uh, material from Kate and to that Facebook group, or you can just search Facebook for 
foraging for kids and ask to join. We're not planning to turn anybody down. And uh, once you have joined, please ask all of your friends and relatives that are in any way connected with kids to join so that we can we can spread the word. So here's a, here's a wild plant for this week. It's white dead nettle. And white dead nettle looks a lot like nettles, but it's actually a mint family plant. It doesn't sting you is probably the most obvious thing to say that distinguishes it from nettles. But also just now, at least where we are, and I, th- I just think in, in most places at this point in the season, it's in flower. So it has the typical mint family structure to its flowers. They're, they're like fused, the petals have sort of in evolutionary history fused a long time ago into a sort of trumpet shape, where it's like a trumpet with, with funny lips at the front. That's typical of the mint family. And the other mint family thing you m- might want to observe um, with with dead nettle is that it has a square stem. That's fairly typical of the mint family group. Um, and also the leaves are in opposite pairs, and that's a characteristic that it shares with, with nettle. So you'll see leaves bang opposite each other, and then the next lot of leaves are at right angles to to the pair below and then back to the previous orientation of, of, of the of the first layer and so on. So you, you, you can sort of introduce yourself to the mint family by uh, noticing something that looks like a nettle that has white flowers. And there's a few things that you can do. You can pluck those flowers off and just suck them. If you happen to have got there before the bees, you'll get a nice little hit of nectar. And that's obviously a lovely thing to do with kids. And then the tops of the plants, I would harvest the tops just, just like with nettles, just the top, say, three inches or so. They can be chopped down and put through a salad or just wilted down as greens or mixed in with a few other greens. You could put them with nettles, for example, maybe a little bit of sorrel uh, or, or spinach. And characteristic flavor for me is, is something like green pepper. So if you're a fan of green pepper, you'll really like white dead nettle. Okay, so have fun with that. And uh, thanks again for listening to this week's Worldwide Podcast. Podcast.